Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for consistently tuning into the show. Uh, even through the world of COVID, early on, we watched numbers of people who listen to podcasts go down a little bit because so many people listened at the gym or in their car. Uh, but we have seen a big uptick returning here as we've gone forward. So thank you for being a loyal part of this here community for making waves at sea level. Uh, before we get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode, and that is Spectrum Reach. At Spectrum Reach, they know three things better than anyone. They know how to harness the power of multi-screen advertising. They know how to offer a simplified one-stop shop destination for marketing solutions. And they know what makes our towns and cities tick. They are the most trusted media partner in America, and they are our neighbors. Visit SpectrumReach.com to get started today. So today, we're going to go back to a former guest from many, many years ago and revisit where that person is today. Uh, for those of you who know me, you know I talk a lot about sort of starting over at 50, reinventing yourself. How can you make, uh, in my case, age 50 to 75, the best years of your life? And I think today's guest is doing that. So today's guest used to work for the FBI. Don't be scared. He's not here to arrest you. But he was a career government employee who has pivoted. And now he is a cybersecurity expert, an author and a speaker who goes all over the country and beyond talking to people about this whole thing around cybersecurity, which if you read anything, you know, it's scary. And here's the thing about him that's really interesting. Of all the people I know who are cybersecurity experts, he is the only one who doesn't try to sell you anything. Yeah, he's got a book, but he doesn't try to sell coaching and consulting and all this stuff. When he speaks, he is just solely there to give the knowledge, and uh, he's really good at that. But he does have an interesting story, at least to me, if my ego wants to be patted on the back, of how he made this transition. And so uh, Scott is Og Ogenbaum. I always mess up his last name because it's one of those names that has like extra letters. But uh, I'm really glad that he is back here on the podcast. So Scott, welcome back to the show. Tom, great to be back. I think it was almost about six years ago when one of my neighbors came, came to me and said, you got to listen to these things called podcasts. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, six years ago, they, were, they weren't new, but they were just turning that corner into the mainstream. Yeah. And I was like, who has time to listen to people talk? <laughs> what am I going to learn? And I remember I'm driving, I'm living in Nashville. I'm an FBI agent in Nashville, Tennessee. And I just happened to flip one on while I'm driving back from New York. And I stumble upon you, of all people, cool things that entrepreneurs do. And I'm like, I work for the government. What does it have to do with me? And then I just got listening to you. And you made a couple of unbelievable points. And you said, even if you work for a company, here's the skill sets that you need. And I took that on. And I remember just hitting you up on an email and saying, hey, love your show. I want to share some stuff with you because I've seen a ton of entrepreneurs get destroyed by cybercrime. And that's how our relationship started. 
Yeah, I remember actually. I, I, I when when I heard from you, I think it was by email at first, and then we jumped on the phone, and it literally was love your podcast. And I listened to it as I drove across country. And you had listened. To the, the show was relatively brand new. I don't think cool things had been around uh, that long. And you had listened to like almost every episode. And you like were citing who you had listened to and which interviews really had touched on you. And this is something I tell people all the time who want to become guests on podcasts or want to reach out to podcasters. Listen to their show, not just the most recent episode. I get so many things from people who say, oh, you know, I really loved your show. And then they cite the episode from four days ago because they only looked at the top one most recent. You knew things that were weeks old. You knew what they had said. You took the advice. So that got my attention. And then we did an episode about cybersecurity. And through that, we then talked about uh, speaking, you were doing some talks for the FBI. So let's talk about uh, your interest at the time in, in speaking. Well, one of the things I, I got out and a lot of things that I've done when I was with the FBI, I had that aha moment that almost 90% of all the cybercrime victimizations could have been prevented. So what did I do? I went out and I never turned down an opportunity to speak to people. I never turned down an opportunity to educate. It could have been to enterprises. It could have been to four people. But I remember you said something and, you know, here I am. I'm a sponge and I'm listening to you because I know I'm about to retire. I think at the time I was maybe about 46, about four years away. You said something that really, really kind of gripped me. You said, if you want to be a good speaker, you have to do 300. Yeah, that is, and that's the advice that I actually read from a woman named Roxanne Emmerich uh, that I read in Speaker Magazine probably like 12 years ago. And she said that there's a lot of people who think they're great speakers, but they don't really have the experience to really handle everything that could happen. And that you're never going to be truly great till you've given 300 what she called professional level speeches, meaning I think the way she sort of described it was you needed to um, be invited to speak and it needed to be a decent size audience of 30 or more people or whatever. And she said too many people like speak in their company sales meeting and people say, oh, that was good. So they think they're great speakers. So I latched on early in my career to that 300 number. And now I'm I'm over a thousand. But uh, I still hold true that if you're not out there speaking a lot, you're never going to be great. So I do remember telling you that because oh, I tell yeah. every I tell everybody that. But you're a little bit of an overachiever there, former FBI agent, Scott. Uh, well, what did you yeah, do? I, I'm sorry, Tom. You know, I, I and that was what was so because I said, you know, 300 was to be good. 600 was to be great. And then I never turned down an opportunity and I did a thousand. Now, today I'm a professional speaker. I go out, I get paid to share my expertise and I get calls all the time from FBI agents. They go, hey, I want to do what you do. I want to be a professional speaker. How do you do it? And I say it is so easy and so simple to do. I'm going to tell you, audience, you want to be a professional speaker, it's really easy. Just do a thousand presentations for free and then people will eventually pay you. <laughs> well, and in your case, you had the 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 audience there because people call the FBI wanting people to speak on things like crime, cybersecurity, etc. And that was something that probably a lot of agents were like, I don't want to go talk to some rotary club about this. And and if I remember correctly, you sort of told your supervisors, I'll do it. We, we I'll do everything. Yeah. Listen, 
It kept me out of the office for all these years. And one of the things that I've learned, and, and this was an aha moment for me. One time I went out and I did a presentation and the guy said to me, Scott, you scared the crap out of me. How do I keep myself safe? And then I said, look, we're the FBI. That's not our place. <laughs> we deal with but, you after you've had the crime. And that's the aha moment that I had, Tom. And that's where, you know, it all developed. Because I like to say I have a passion project life. I do what I love to do. I figured out that 90% of what I dealt with could have been prevented if the end users just were empowered with a couple of key pieces of information. So I made it my life's calling to go out and share that. And it was a passion project. And the next thing I knew, I would do one talk and then more people. And this is when I retired. And I turned my back on corporate America. I turned down a lot of really good business development jobs. Because one of the things that I believe in, I think I got it from you. Another one. Another one, Tom. I don't hate to stroke your ego, but if you oh, follow, oh, but, you, but you can, I will. If you follow your passion, the money will come. And I had a, something that I wanted to share with people. And that's why I wrote a book to teach people. And that's why now I go out and, and I do trainings and I get brought into organizations and nobody and I don't call them. They call me. It's great. And your book is called Secret uh, to Cybersecurity. Yes. And, and if you and if you're looking to read a good book about by an FBI agent who saved the day, put a lot of bad guys in jail and has a tr tell all about the Trump administration or, or Hillary, not my book, my <laughs> books to teach you to be safe. So but what's so interesting is, is that you had this career that was something you obviously enjoyed what you did, which led you to being able to speak about it. Then you got this inspiration from some wacky podcaster that, heck, I could go out and I could do that. I could go out and speak about it. And then you put your time into learning to fine tune being a better speaker. So, you know, if we go back to, you know, eight or nine years ago and you had to give a presentation for the FBI versus now when you go give a presentation for, you know, a large hospital chain or, or a tech company, uh, what's the difference in your ability as a speaker because you've done a thousand speeches? I would say it's the confidence and it's the ability to be passionate about your topic. And when I get up, I'm animated. I stand up. I don't like to sit. I'm usually doing like a thousand steps when I'm on here. And even when I'm doing the Zoom stuff, I like to reach out. I like to touch people. And I really think passion shows. One of the things that was very difficult for me, to be honest with you, when I transitioned was speaking in front of a camera mm -hmm. because I would be like this. Hi, I'm Scott Augenbaum. <laughs> good, I'm good, an FBI agent. Good thing you learned to speak in front of a camera before COVID hit because now we all live in front of a camera. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what it's all about. And it's I really think that my new there's a lot of people who know a lot more than I do because I really have focused on basics and fundamentals. But when it comes across and I'm speaking to people, I'm exp what do I do? I change behavior. How do I change behavior? I can tell you to think before you click, but it's the use of storytelling. It's if I'm going to put you in that victim's place and I'm going to explain to you how often 
My heart was broken because I couldn't help people. I joined the FBI to be a hero, to put bad people in jail. I didn't join the FBI to be a public speaker. If you would have told me that, I would have said no way. But then I took such great pleasure in being able to share what I learned with people to help prevent them from becoming the next victim. So this whole idea of reinventing yourself, it's its a big part of what I'm talking about. I'm doing a bunch of videos on it. It's its really kind of near and dear to my heart because when I turned 50, I made this commitment that I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And every now and then somebody questions me and they say, Tom, your dad lived to be 99 years old. What happens about 75 to 100? And my answer is I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I get when, <laughs> when, I, when I get to it, right? But my dad, I wasn't even born until my dad was 52. And my dad, I only remember him really in his 60s and his 70s. And he had a grand old time and, and he didn't let aging or retiring or any of the other things that people get kind of down on. He didn't let any of that sort of get to him. And actually, this won't uh, air on the podcast for a couple of days or uh, I guess a day, maybe tomorrow it airs. But today, we're recording this on October 21st. Today would have been my father's 106th birthday. So yeah, he passed away seven years ago uh, at the age of 99. But he's sort of my inspiration on this fact that, you know, just because you've reached that halfway point in your life, you know, you don't you don't have to sit back. I imagine there's a lot of government employees who get near the end, they get to the point where they can retire and they have a pension and they don't know what to do. And and retirement is either scary or it sucks. What I've seen because you and I are friends. What I have seen over the last couple of years since you retired, uh, it doesn't seem scary and it certainly doesn't suck. So let's talk about your plan leading up to retirement for your reinvention. Well, here I am. I'm going out on my own. And even now, I've just had to pivot so much because I thought I was going to be doing one thing and it turned into another thing and it's being open minded. And one of the things, again, which I followed of yours was don't get stuck in the middle. Mediocrity kills people. And so often we see that. And all of a sudden people are like, well, I'm going to retire and get another job. I'm like, look, we had jobs. <laughs> Now's our time. And at age 50, I'm having the time of my life. I got back into running. I took off about 20, 25 pounds during this whole thing. I'm not traveling like I did. And to me, this is the prime of our lives. And I don't even remember. It was so long ago. But the one thing that I did is being an FBI agent, that was my identity. Today, you know what my identity is? I'm a guy who teaches people how not to be a victim. Right. Well, and, and I think that you hit on something really interesting. So often we identify with our job and I'm I, pre COVID. I was trying not to identify that. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a professional speaker uh, because as it turns out, COVID could happen and live events could disappear. And I have a lot of peers who identified as you know, a professional speaker who speaks on live stages and they haven't been able to make that pivot because their identity got tied up in their job. And we see this all the time when people get laid off. It's doubly depressing, not just because they lost their income, but because their identity was in that pink slip, you know, behind that pink slip on the other side of the, of the desk. So I think you're right that, you know, identifying yourself as, as someone who teaches and helps, you can do that in a lot of different ways. You can do that through writing. You can do that through a podcast. You can do that through speaking. I know that you've been able to pivot really, really well compared to a lot of people. 
in the last seven months into this world of virtual, uh, you've done a really good job of pivoting, being able to do your educational programs via Zoom or whatever platform someone is using. How, how were you able to make that transition so well? And, and does it help that your topic is cybersecurity in an age where it's getting worse? Absolutely, it helps. I, I'm blessed. The fact that I'm an FBI agent and I invested my time in cybercrime because back in 2003, a lot of people made fun of me about, hey, cybercrime is going to go away. I'm going to be honest. When I had a killer year, I, I had about 20 some odd gigs lined up in January. The year before, I had four. I'm looking at a super year. All of a sudden, COVID hits. I'm going to be honest. I was depressed. And I said, OK, I got some money saved. I got my pension. I'm doing a lot better off. I go Zoom. I go, I don't even know how to log into Zoom. I don't even know what I start sounding like my mother. Like, what's that? The, the computer with the buttons. And then I just figured I have to make them entertaining. I have to reach over to people. I have to explain to them. And then one thing leads on into another and through things that I never thought that would be so important to me, like marketing, like I'm out on LinkedIn all the time. And you know what I'm doing? I'm providing content. You never see posts from me that say, hey, hire me to speak buy my books. And if you constantly provide content to people, they're going to call you. And that's what's really been working well for me. The other thing that you do that a lot of speakers don't do is you're also a giver. You help other people. You've helped me uh, and other people. You, you, you try to help your clients connect with other people who are good speakers. And this is something in this era that we live in right now. I think the people who have that giving soul who are willing to promote others are the ones who are getting more business where the people who are like, ah, my sky is falling, look at me, are the ones who maybe aren't getting as much. What, what do you think about that? Absolutely. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. Who, who says that all the time? Wait a minute. I, I know I, a guy I know. I just I know a guy who says that. that. In my, I hear that in my sleep. I know a okay? guy who says that on his podcast a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you and you are, and this is what's so important to your listeners, you know, and I forgot who said that you are the, the combination of the people you hang out with. Yeah. Jim Rohn, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the sum of the people that are the books that you read, the podcast. I, I took all the, you know, and I've always been kind of a self-help junkie. And I always went like this. Oh, that stuff doesn't work. We and I think it was Tony Robbins who said that we underestimate what what is it? We overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we do in a decade. And meeting you six years ago and me slowly taking these little bits of nuggets and taking them and putting them in really has helped. And that's why it's so important that people like you do what you do and have this podcast. And I encourage people to listen because people don't realize that the little nuggets that you pick up are what you can put into your life. And I am blessed to know that I'm able to do what I do. Well, and it's interesting because there's so many, I mean, you know, we can go back to, to Zig Ziglar had a great comment. Somebody said, oh, you know, motivation doesn't work. And because it doesn't stick, people go listen to these pot. Well, I guess not podcasts back then, but they go listen to tapes or they listen to, you know, a speaker on the stage and they get all fired up. And then a few days later, it sort of wanes. And they, they told Zig Ziglar, motivation doesn't work because it doesn't last. And he said, neither does showering, but I recommend you do it every day. Yeah. 
You know, one of the things that I, I was going back in, and it was, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people. And there was one nugget that I took out of that book, and that was to try to spend your time in that quadrant that is important but not urgent. And what is that? Building relationships. Mm. And if the more we invest in people and the more we try to help people, the more we give, we give, get back. I so, truly believe that. So I want to go deeper into that relationship topic since it's something that's near and dear to my heart. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves like Scott. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. And I got to say, I have worked with Podfly since episode number one. We are now at episode 606, and uh, they're awesome. 606. So, Scott, going back to the whole idea of uh, relationships, right? I mean, you say, hey, I, I listened to this podcast. I reached out to this guy. I took some of that. You know, boom, it, 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 it changed my life. How have people throughout your life had impacts on you? Why, why do you agree that, that people matter? Well, it's so important, you know, in mentors and people that we learn from. And I've had so many unbelievable mentors. I, I can't even name them all. I, I mean, so many people have made such an impact in my life. But I'm going to flip this on its head because as I get older, as me and you are, I like to say, now we're the old farts. You know, I'm 52. And I'm, I'm 54. Okay. But one of the things that really that I found out that I've been ad addicted to success, but not as much fulfillment. And now is the point where I want to focus on the contribution side. So as I look to the future, my wife goes, so what are we going to do? We're going to make a ton of cash. I want to buy a new couch. And I'm like, yeah, honey. Well, yes, we'll do that. But what I want to do is I want to start something where I want to develop apprentices. I want to go to some universities and find some of the best and brightest in information security and teach them the art, not the science. And the art is what? About building relationships. It's about speaking. Because, you know, as we turn into this part of our life, it's kind of give back time. I mean, I love making money, but I don't want to trade stress for money. I want to make a difference in this world. I talk to my kids about it and you know, they don't, they look at me like, dad, what are you talking about? But that's really like one of my bigger goals towards contribution is trying to build up some apprentices, teach them what I've learned, what it took me 29 years to figure out. I want to sit here and be able to explain that and build a framework for that. And I'm a real big fan of, of mentorship. I've been blessed to have had some really cool mentors who've come through my life when I was young and, and even more recently who have helped show, show me the way. And one of those mentors, there was a woman named Carol Thompson. She's, I don't see her much anymore. She's moved away from Austin. Uh, she's in sort of pseudo retirement era, but, uh, 
she early on helped me out a lot, introduced me to people, uh, you know, helped me recover from some mistakes maybe I made in my career when I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And she told me when I was about 35, she goes, you're now crossing into the other side. A lot of people have helped you. Over the next 10 years, you have to find ways to help others. And it probably took me a while to sort of grasp that. But uh, now I take calls from anybody who wants you know to have a little bit of time to ask and every now and then someone sticks I, I talk a lot on the show about the two guys that I mentor who I call them my fake sons uh, you don't always become family with people you mentor but but these guys are they're like they're both 31 they're like my sons um, and it came out of they literally wanted a business mentor and one of them saw me speak I always remember this his professor took a group of students eight years ago he was a senior uh, studying real estate and I uh, was speaking in San Antonio and his professor brought people from the class and they said if you go you get two extra points on the final so he went because he was one of these really gung-ho people he wanted the extra two points and I always remember he came up to me at the end of the speech and he's like wow you're the best speaker I've ever seen and I remember looking at him and I remember just looking at him going well you're young you know you're young you'll see others but then he said if I come to Austin which is an hour from San Antonio can I buy you a cup of coffee? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So he came to Austin a few times after graduation, he moved here. And, and one day he's like, would you be my mentor? And I'm like, I don't even really know what that means, but <laughs> but you're welcome to call me whenever you have a question. And eight years later, he still calls me and it's not just business now. I mean, he'll call me about things in his personal life. And, you know, we've really developed uh, uh, this kinship. That must be wonderful, wonderful feeling. Yeah, and it, it's I was at a dinner party and somebody was talking, he was 55, but his two best friends at his company were 65 and were both retiring. And he said, is it weird that my two best friends are 65, like a decade older? And I said, I don't know, my two best friends are 30. And we got in the car, I said, did I just call Nick and Jake, two of my best friends? And my wife said, they are. And I was like, oh, I guess that I guess that is true. So, you know, giving back, I get more out of my relationship with them now than they probably get from me because we do have that that really good that really good relationship. But, but I think you were there for them. And that's what we all need in life is someone to be there. And it, it, I mean, you have a flock of people who listen to you religiously. And sometimes we underestimate what we do. And it's so important that for us at our stage in life to be there to support people. Well, and, and that's the thing is when when you told me the influence that I had six years ago, I kind of fluffed it off. If you remember when you first reached out to me and said, I really want to thank you for everything, I kind of was like, oh, come on, Scott, what did I do? But I, I stepped back and I realized that it's not just me. A lot of people, when someone says thank you, we don't accept praise really well. And I think that when you've helped somebody and they say thank you, that's another thing that I've had to learn now in my older age is to accept that that gratitude that people want to give you because uh, it, it it does it it does matter. So uh, I appreciate the kind words you know that, that you said that, that I had that impact, and it makes me wonder who else listens to one episode of my podcast or six hundred episodes of my podcast who never calls me, and yet there was something that one of the guests said or that I said that that had an impact, and so it just makes me wonder. Are there, I think often we help people and we don't even know it. And that's the best part about it is when you come over and you do something and I'll run into people that I've mentored from 20 years ago as new FBI agents or a victim that I helped and they'll come back or a piece of information that I gave or spending time with someone on the phone and not blowing them off. It really means a lot to everyone. And that's why it's so important to be grateful for what we have. So Scott, I've only got a few minutes left, so I, I would be remiss if I had one of the leading experts on cybersecurity on my podcast 
and I didn't ask for some cybersecurity advice for the people who are listening. So the general population, where are we messing up when it comes to cybersecurity? Well, here's what we have to realize. The bad guys steal your stuff. You're not getting it back. The chances of law enforcement putting the bad guys in jail is really challenging. But almost 90% of what we dealt with could have been prevented if we just followed a couple of simple steps. And what I'd like to do is almost have your guests email me. I'm going to send them the steps that they should do. And, you know, in the book, The Secret to Cybersecurity, there's two things that are so important that I usually tell people. These are the only two reasons you should buy my book, to keep your kids safe and to keep your elderly parents safe. But when I wrote that book, I didn't write it to make money to sell those two chapters. So I want to give those two chapters away to all of your listeners and just a couple of other documents, because we can talk about this. This is what I talk about. This takes me, you know, on a good day, I could rush through it in about 45 minutes. But think before you click. So important. Email is the number one attack vector. And we need to put two factor authentication on all of our uh, remote access on our email, on our Dropbox, on you name it. I'll go into the details with that. But you know what? What I try to do is I, I, I try to empower people on how not to be the next victim of a cybercrime incident. And one of the things that I figured out organically is if I can teach people, especially executives, how to be safe at home, they understand the concept at work. And one of the best excuses I heard is, hey, it's an IT problem. Well, it's a business process problem. And that's why it's so important that we need to take this seriously because the cybercrime problem is continuing to go up. The amount of money we're spending is going up even more and 90% of it. So I built a framework to try to teach people these are the things you need to do for free before you spend money. So it's interesting to me that email is still the number one way that these bad guys get into our personal stuff, because, you know, I thought by now we would all know that when we get that that email from Chase or uh, Wells Fargo, first of all, is to assume it's not really from them. Second of all, click on where the email's from, because an email from Wells Fargo doesn't come from Bobby at, you know, skibbledybiddledydoo.com. Uh, and yet people still see it and think, oh, my God, my Netflix will be blocked. And they click on it right away without ever realizing that that wasn't from Netflix. But that's not really the case, because now it's a little more complicated because the bad guys are taking over legitimate email accounts. Ah, so it's gotten it's gotten even more sophisticated. Well, it has. But it's so simple because here's what happens. So just think about this. If you're a parent and your kids are going to high school and all of a sudden you get an email that looks like it's coming from the school district, or maybe it did, but the school district didn't have two-factor authentication. And it says, dear parent, your child has been diagnosed with COVID-19. Click on this link. What do you think most people are going to do? And <laughs> They click on the link. Yeah, and those are the things. So we got to think before we click. I was on a panel of cyber experts, and I don't even like to say I'm an expert because I've just dealt with victims. And I made this one comment. I go, guys, we're talking about the same stuff that I was talking about in 2005. So we have to stick to the basics. We have to stick to the hygiene. That is what is so important. 
So another thing I just want to touch on, and you probably don't have an answer for it, but uh, I reached out to you. I'll about make s- one up. I, I re- <laughs> that's all I do. Uh, and apparently it works. Uh, I reached out to you about six months ago wanting to know who to contact because somebody was impersonating me on like a third tier social media site. I'd never even heard of it. It was one of these like, you know, it wasn't like uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or TikTok or something that everybody uses. It was like some random, th- you know, site that, that, that people were on and they were impersonating me and, and they weren't harming me, but they were trying to separate some people from their money. And what had happened is someone reached out to me on Facebook and said, is this really you? And I'm like, no, never even heard of that. And you you directed me to like where you can report something to the FBI and but you warned me that there's so much that's reported there's probably nothing they can do and basically i got nothing back nothing back nothing back I reported it a couple times finally i got kind of a form lettery thing that basically said if you're not being harmed or threatened you know I, I, my words not theirs nothing we can do and first of all why is there so much impersonation of random people on these social media sites and what are the bad guys trying to get out of it well, it's coming into a situation where there's money to be made and it's simplistic. So bad guys are impersonating. Bad guys are getting into people who try to have who have podcast, who have followers, because think about this. I lock down. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I'm providing a ton of com- content. If I didn't have the two-factor authentication as a separate mechanism, and I had the same password for LinkedIn as I did for my Yahoo account, the bad guy would get into my LinkedIn account, send a message out to my 6,700 followers and say, hey guys, I just want to let you know, here is a a free digital copy of my book. Everyone's going to go, oh, Clickety, click, 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 right. Yeah. And then it might say, well, in order to get this, it's saved on my Dropbox. So or, or it's on my G drive. You need to authenticate with your Gmail pa- username and password. And then the bad guy steals your Gmail username and password because it's probably the same as your bank account. And then it goes on and on. And these are the things that I talk about that we need to become human firewalls. We need to think before we click. We need to have separate passwords. These are all the hygiene that I talk about. So so password uh, 987 is not a good password is what you're saying. Uh, 9874, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Scott, thank you so much for coming back onto the show. Of course, the show's name has changed. You were on it in the early days when it was cool things entrepreneurs do. But thank you for coming on uh, making waves at sea level. What should executives and companies, these sea level people, what should they be doing right now to protect their company and their people? Well, they can shoot me an email to sogenbaum at gmail, and I'm sure you'll put that up in the show notes. And just, hey, I'll give you a list of steps and I'll give you some documents. Just go out and implement these things in your organization. Go out this, and as the C level folks, You own the risk within your organization. The sales department has different platforms. The finance department does. The marketing department does. These are not IT problems. You need to educate yourself. And one of the things that I try to do is take the, it's so complicated that I try to make it so simple. Well, Scott, it's been fun to watch your speaking career grow and see all the things that you're doing out there. And I'm glad that we've become friends. So thank you for reaching out to me uh, six years ago. 
Yes, and I appreciate everything that you've done for me, Tom. Thank you so much. Awesome. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I've always said it, and I'll still say it every single show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this? It's all about y'all. So if you like the show, let me know. Uh, If there's someone you think is making waves in your industry, let me know who they are so I can feature them here on the show. And go out there. Make your own waves. Flex your entrepreneurial muscles. Make sure that your career ladder is against the right wall because climbing the career ladder in the wrong place i did it it's no fun uh and while you're at it go out there and have a great day thank you for listening to the making waves at sea level podcast without your listening to these in-depth conversations there would be no show connect with tom at tomsinger.com and follow him on twitter and instagram at tomsinger This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.